In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Knackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. Have you ever wondered what Disneyland looked like in its earliest days, but in 3D? Well, boy, do I have a book for you. On today's episode of Notably Disney, I'm bringing back author Dave Bossert, who has written quite the book that focuses on this topic. It is 3D Disneyland like you've never seen it before, including photos from the Ted Kiersey collection, So let's get to my conversation with Dave about this exciting new title. Returning to Notably Disney is Dave Bossert, an accomplished author who joined me earlier in the year to discuss some of his past projects, including as a visual effects supervisor for Fantasia 2000. We talked all about that and chronicling the life of Roy E. Disney via via the beautiful memoir. Um, Today, we're gonna talk about something completely different Uh, an exciting project. It's a forthcoming fall release entitled 3D Disneyland, like you've never seen it before. And indeed, we've never seen a book like this one before. So I'm excited to talk with you about this book. Dave, welcome back. Thanks, Brett. It's really great to be back with you and, and talking about something different. Yes, well, I know there's no shortage of projects to talk about with you. And this is a really unique venture. And I'm hoping you can acquaint listeners with your relationship with Ted Kiersey, who is a special effects animator at Disney, with whom you shared an office and really served as the foundation of this, of this new title. Sure. Um, you know, uh, Ted actually started working at the Walt Disney Company in 1970, well, well before I ever got hired. And um, he, uh, um, he's since retired now, but uh, during uh, that time when I got hired, he was one of the first people I met and I, I kind of considered him a mentor uh, and a friend. Um, and a colleague at Walt Disney Animation Studios. And he's, he's really a master special effects animator. And I learned a tremendous amount from him over the years. 
and then we had the pleasure of splitting an office together while we worked on uh, Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin. So, um, you know, it was during that time that I got to know him better uh, because we would be chatting in our office as we were working away. And he actually brought in a, a couple of 3D slides of Disneyland from opening week in 1955 to show me. And uh, just to put this in context, uh, Ted actually bought a Kodak Aniston stereo 35 millimeter camera uh, a few months before Disneyland opened. And his father took him to Disneyland opening week and he took his camera and he snapped a lot of 3D photographs. And uh, I grew up on the East Coast of the United States, so I had not been to Disneyland until about 1980, 81. And so I never experienced the park in its infancy when it first opened. And it was a real treat to see those photos because in 3D, it's not just a photograph that's capturing a moment. It's, it's capturing a moment in time and space. So you actually see dimensionality in the uh, photograph. It's pretty incredible to think about that these photos um, were taken via a 3D camera. I would imagine there is there really anybody else out there who took 3D picture or who had that type of equipment to um, capture that time? Yeah, you know, I'm sure there were other amateur photographers that were taking 3D photographs and have taken 3D photographs over the years. Uh, and, uh, you know, Ted, uh, lived in Southern California, so he grew up with Disneyland in his backyard. So he would be going to Disneyland on a somewhat regular basis, and he would be bringing his 3D camera with him. And just so the audience knows, a 3D camera actually has two lenses, uh, and the lenses are set apart very much like the human eyes. And so when you take a photograph, you're actually taking a left eye and a right eye photograph. And when you look at the, that photograph with a special viewer, uh, it creates the 3D image for you by merging those two photographs. And so what we did was we actually converted the left and right eye image into what's known as an anaglyph photograph. And an anaglyph photograph is gonna be like a single image that you'll look at in the book, but it's the two photographs, the left and right eye overlaid, so they're slightly offset. And the left eye is tinted magenta, and the right eye is tinted cyan. And when you put on a pair of glasses that have a red lens and a blue lens, and look at the photograph, you get that 3D image. Well, thanks for giving that context, Dave. And what I really appreciate about the beginning of the book is you give some context to um, this whole process and, and even the development. So the, the reader who is per not, perhaps not as familiar with this type of photography has that level of understanding going into uh, actually looking at the pictures. Yeah, and, and, and you know, that was part of the purpose of writing uh, the, the text for this book, was to give people uh, a, a better understanding of 
what 3D photography is. And, you know, a lot of people like myself were first introduced to 3D photography through the old GAF Viewmasters. And uh, that had the little disc that, you know, had pairs of images and you could see 3D photos through that. And, uh, and the 3D photography in 35 millimeter uh, just takes it a step for, you know, step uh, further than that because it's, it's more professional. And, um, and, and to be able to put some of these photos that have never been seen by the public into a book and to include a pair of glasses. So when you get this book, you'll pull a pair of glasses out, put them on. Hopefully you read my text first and, and then, and then you put on the glasses and you'll, you'll be able to see, you know, it's 90 some odd photographs of Disneyland primarily between 1955 opening week at Disneyland and 1980, which was the 25th anniversary. I think there's kind of some symbolism there too, because you, you had mentioned a few minutes ago that your first trip to Disneyland was shortly after the 25th anniversary, correct? That's correct. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, it's funny when Ted first showed me those photographs, uh, probably well over 25 years ago now, um, I said to him, I go, boy, Ted, these would be great in a book. You should put all of these in a book someday. I, you know, people would love to see these. And so, you know, Ted has since retired. Uh, he's, he's in his, uh, uh, mid to late seventies and, you know, he's moved out of Los Angeles, but he and I have kept in touch. We, we talk on the phone on a regular basis. We text each other and I've gone out to visit him at his new home. And on one of those visits, that's when the, we sort of hatched this, this whole thing again. And, the, the, the 3D photos came up uh, in conversation, and I said, boy, Ted, remember I said we should put them in a book? Let's do it. Let's put them in a book. And he said, okay, let's do it. And that's how this book came about. That's really interesting. It makes me think of uh, a phrase or uh, notion associated with Disney in, in general as far as with storytelling and a, attraction ideas that good ideas never die. And it seems like that this the kind of the spark for this really originated decades ago when you looked at those pictures, but then ultimately you revisited that idea and, and look at where you are now with it. Yeah. And, and, and you're exactly right. Uh, you know, it, it's, you know, good ideas often sometimes have to just wait for the right moment. Uh, and I think this was the right moment because we were both motivated to do it. And also the technologies available that allowed us to take those left and right eye images and to do a beautiful conversion to the anaglyph. Uh, and then the way we laid out the book, Brett, was we laid it out as a walking tour of Disneyland. And so you actually start outside the berm, looking up at the train station, and then you're in in the town square and you go up main street to the hub and then you go off into an Adventureland, new orleans square you see the train station over there the haunted mansion critter country um the rivers of america frontier land you see you see some shots of the castle um fantasy land um 
there's a couple of uh, more contemporary images of Toontown, which, because I just wanted to include every area of Disneyland, at least one or two shots. And um, you see some beautiful aerial shots from the gondolas of the uh, sky, the skyway to Fantasyland and the skyway to Tomorrowland, including a beautiful shot approaching the opening in the Matterhorn that the gondolas went through. Yeah. Yeah. And also there's a shot inside of the Matterhorn looking out towards Fantasyland, uh, which is kind of fun. And then of course we go into Tomorrowland and there's some beautiful shots of the original Tomorrowland with uh, the world clock and the TWA rocket and, um, Autopia, and there's some shots of uh, the, the original submarine voyage from, you know, uh, 1959, 1960, and um, uh, and the train station in Tomorrowland. Uh, so, you know, and and as we were putting this together, I kind of felt like we needed a couple of photographs of Walt Disney, and. I'm not aware of any 3D photos of Walt Disney, but we we settled on two lovely pictures of Walt at the park. Uh, and those two images, we used some, some digital technology to convert to 3D images. And so this will be the first time you'll see Walt Disney in 3D. Well, that's, that's pretty remarkable. And it's interesting you talking about just the layout of the book because I noticed that in, in looking through this um, preprint version that, yeah, I felt like that I was just doing, uh, um, I, I was just walking around the park and in a very uh, clockwise fashion. And, uh, and because there are occasionally those jumps in time between some of the photos in the fifties versus um, 1980, for instance, and even a few modern pictures, um, it was kind of a cool uh, time-lapse of sorts. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, again, I, I wanted to mix those photos together. I think the juxtaposition of seeing, you know, like the Mark Twain in 1955 and then the Mark Twain in 1980, you can really see, you know, just by flipping the page back and forth, just how much the foliage and trees have grown in, you know? Yeah, yeah. And actually, I have a couple of points in regards to that in particular. I think there was a caption associated with one of the um, with one of the Mark Twain photos saying that the capacity was so much higher originally that it was that it would uh, cause the ship to uh, sink, not sink, but, you know, to be lower. Well, and lower. Yeah, you know, I, 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 you know, each one of the photos has a has a small caption. Uh, and yeah, I had written a little bit about that because, uh, opening day, there was a, there was an employee who was supposed to keep track of how many people were getting on to the, uh, Mark Twain. And he was just overwhelmed because of the, so many people had shown up to the park. He had lost track and apparently let almost 500 people onto the Mark Twain. And as it was going around Rivers of America, it actually started listing to one side. Oh, wow. uh, and, and it came off of its guardrail. You know, it had a, it had a guide rail that, that uh, you know, guides it around the Rivers of America. And it came off of that. And they actually had to take passengers off the boat. 
and they had to wade. They had to wade to shore, uh, and you know, Rivers of America is only about four feet deep. And exactly. So, uh, so you know, there there was uh, there was a handful of mishaps like that, but fortunately, the riverboat didn't uh, capsize uh, or flip to one side. Uh, but uh, it, it only is supposed to hold, I think, you know, 275 or 300 people, you know? Sam, that's what I love about the book, that there are those fun facts scattered uh, throughout. And you mentioned a minute ago, too, about the notion of the foliage being so different because the trees were so small back then compared to today. What was, um, that, that just really struck me in, in reviewing these old pictures. What were your own impressions of seeing these landscapes that were, even vastly different from your own first visit in in the early eighties. Yeah, I mean, I I was I was really astounded by some of the pictures at, as we were going through the selection process because there were some photos. Uh, there, there's a great photo of the Disneyland Santa Fe Railroad uh, by uh, it's on the spur uh, off the main line and. What, what was really amazing to me looking at that picture was the fact that there were uh, orange groves as far as you could see behind it. And, and so, you know, it's that realization about how rural that whole area was when the park first opened, which is vastly different now. I, mean, I don't think you could find an orange grove in that area. Yeah, well, and I, I feel like even some of those same pictures showed like telephone lines in the background as well. Yeah, there was you know, the occasional telephone pole sticking up. Uh, and, you know, again, just all these orange groves and, uh, and how everything was sort of freshly planted. And, you know, and, and there's, there's some terrific books out that chronicle, you know, the, the building of Disneyland and, you know, leading up to the opening day and everything and, and how, you know, crazy it was to try and get that park open in time. Uh, and uh, I, I just think that this gives people a glimpse into the past that they may never have experienced. And those that did experience it, it'll be, it'll be a throwback. It'll be memories for them. Right, right, for sure. And, you know, th this book adds a certain level of depth, no pun intended, in giving that context because there, there is that sense of that you can just envelop yourself in those pictures and think about, like, as I was looking through them, I'm thinking, wow, I'm really attuned to people's clothing and how, and just, imagining them walking around. It, it's a very different experience as just really concentrating on the pictures and, and having that immersion. It's, I, I don't know how, how best to describe it, but it's quite unique in that fashion. Yeah, no, I, I, I you know, again, I, I, I have to say the, the way we did lay it out with a single photo on a page, um, to me, it, it's, I, and I explain this in the text, it, it's, it's called a windowing effect, um, where there's a white, there's a, there's a fairly nice white border around the photograph, and that acts as almost a white wall, and the photo itself is a window, and it helps enhance the three-dimensionality of the photograph, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And I think 
I read too that your wife, Nancy, was involved in the design and layout. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Nancy, this is our second collaboration because she designed uh, and laid out the Ken Weber uh, mid-century furniture uh, of the Disney Studios book. And um, this is her, this is our second collaboration. So she laid this book out as well. And, and I just think she did a, just an absolutely stunning job on it. Yeah, well, it's very, it's very clean and sleek and it's not overwhelming. And per what you're saying, the, the focus on one photo per page allows for that sense of being encapsulated. Whereas yes. in perhaps other books, um, it, it might be dr drowned out by uh, additional visuals and, and things that might be distracting your focus. Exactly. I, I find sometimes, you know, the, there's some books that, that I, I, I've even gotten recently where I feel like the design is so cluttered and there's so many things going on and stuff to look at that, you know, it's hard to focus in on anything. And we, we really wanted to showcase these photographs. And so, you know, the way we laid it out, we're, we felt was, was the most respectful way for people to view those photos. For sure, can you t talk a little bit about that selection process? How many photos did Ted ultimately have in his collection and, and what were the steps in determining how to frame this title? Yeah, uh, it's a great question because uh, Ted had uh, several hundred photographs and we went through and, and selected pictures uh, that represented you know, again, all the different areas of Disneyland, and we we selected photos that, you know, we both felt uh, had a reasonably strong 3D quality to them, uh, and uh, also wanted to have a mix of pictures from the 50s and the 80s. Again, that juxtaposition of past and sort of near past, I guess, you know, and, and, uh, and then uh, the, there was a gentleman named Patrick Swaina who uh, was really very instrumental in helping us with the anaglyph conversion process. And he's also a, a, a 3D photographer. And so he had some more contemporary photos that actually helped us fill in some of the gaps um, that we had, uh, you know, we wanted to inf include a, you know, again, at least one or two photos of each of the areas of Disneyland. Uh, and, uh, you know, Ted didn't have anything uh, from Toontown uh, or really representative of Critter Country. And so, you know, being able to, to get a couple additional photos from Patrick, uh, I think was, was really you know, important in, in, in trying to give the greatest representation of the park. Oh, for sure. Um, and I, yeah, I noticed those photos were, I believe, dated 2019. Is there a reason why Galaxy's Edge is not featured in there? Um, because uh, Galaxy's Edge was not uh, open at that point. Oh, sure. Okay. So th those photos were before Galaxy's Edge opened. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, and that I, speaks, I guess, to the, the publication timeline as well. These ventures take a, a long time. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, it was funny when when we started putting out the word about 3D Disneyland uh, coming out soon, I got a couple of notes from people saying, oh, what's happening with the Claude Coates book? And and I actually took the time to write back to people and said, oh, yes, you know, I'm like, I'm just about done with the text for the Claude Coates book. But you have to realize the 3D Disneyland book, I wrote that last year. And, and I, I also wrote uh, Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas Visual Companion like two and a half years ago. And that apparently is going to come out next June. So, you know, sometimes depending on the publisher, you know, books can take upwards of two years or longer to come out. Oh, yeah. And, and, and that's why I think as the writer, it probably challenged you challenges you to think of, okay, how can I ensure that everything featured in here is most, not only most accurate, but most reflective of what the current landscape is, because some things may change. I imagine history books are a little bit different in that sense, but you have to be mindful of timing. Well, and also, I mean, you know, it's funny you mentioned history books, because I I was just watching the news the other night, and they're talking about going in and revising a lot of history books, because, you know, the viewpoint of history changes, uh, and the context changes, and, you know, there's, there's oftentimes... Uh, just uh, things that are out of your control um, and uh, you just have to roll with it. Well, and I think what's nice about this book is that it presents the opportunity for folks who have never, who had never been to Disneyland um, in its infancy to kind of get that sentiment, but it also has a certain degree of familiarity. What I was really thinking about a lot as I was looking through this, Dave, was just the the notion of, that I, I, I felt like that I was in the park because I, it, it was, all these photos are so natural. It's not like the type of picture you would see in a, an official guidebook for the park that's very staged. Everything felt very natural. Did that play into the, the photos that you ultimately curated for this to not only Uh, identify ones that would lend itself to 3D, as you mentioned, but also just feel very immersive and authentic. Yeah, I I, I think that was really part of it. I mean, you know, again, uh, the thesis was that we wanted people to take a walking tour of the park, and we did want it to feel natural. Uh, And because Ted shot these pictures, he shot them as a guest at the park. Uh, you know, he went in with his 3D camera and he photographed uh, what he was seeing. And, and so to me, again, it goes back to that notion of he was capturing these moments in time and space. And, and I thought that that was really important uh, for people to see. And, and one of the fascinating things is to see how people were dressed in the 50s when they went to the park. Oh, yes. Very dressed up. That caught my eye, too. (laughs) Yeah. And and so, you know, it it, it sort of documents a little bit uh, the changing of society, you know, because you've got these photos uh, of people all nicely dressed and wearing dresses, women are wearing dresses and heels and whatnot in in the 50s. And, And then you get to the 1980s and it's completely different. You've got this, you know, 25 year gap. Uh, 20 to 25 year gap. 
Well, and I feel like that's how sometimes looking at clothing, something as simple as clothing is, is illustrative of, as you were saying earlier, time and place and context. And yeah. um, it gives a really um, rich uh, context there. I'm wondering, were there any images that you came across that you were just absolutely blown away by in terms of things you had never seen or even heard of within the park? Well, I think, uh, well, I had heard of most stuff, but I think, you know, it was really wonderful to see those pictures of Tomorrowland because Tomorrowland, of all the lands, Tomorrowland is the, is the one that was always outdated, you know, the most, you know, every time they, you know, like it was like when they put, when the park opened, there wasn't a lot in Tomorrowland. Uh, and what was there got outdated, uh, you know, the, the, uh, uh, X one, uh, um, you know, where you went in and you supposedly were on a platform above earth looking down at earth, you know, the, the, those types of attractions got outdated fairly quickly. And, uh, and so I think, uh, Walt, it seems to me from everything I've read, Walt Disney himself was never really happy with Tomorrowland because he could never get far enough ahead uh, uh, in time, uh, you know, with, with attractions and things like that. So, so to me, uh, I think that seeing, seeing Tomorrowland from 1955, 57 uh, was really kind of amazing. Uh, the other thing too was was seeing the original facades in Fantasyland uh, from when the park opened because those have all changed. Um, I, I think I was really um, awestruck, if you will, uh, by some of the shots of the Mark Twain coming around Rivers of America because. It, it looks so enormous compared to the environment. And then to look at the Mark Twain in 1980, it, it felt more natural because everything had grown in. The, 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 the riverboat itself didn't feel as huge. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, and, and that's where, again, the, the notion of the trees and um, just the color to the park really blossomed over time. One area that really caught my eye was Captain Hook's galley ship restaurant, which I've seen some pictures of in the past and in some film footage. But my gosh, there's several really rich images of the restaurant, particularly those captured from the Skyway. Um, wow, that's all I could say. I had never really seen such um, good images of that really unique establishment. Yeah, and, and even the earliest version of it, which was sponsored by Chicken of the Sea Tuna, and they served Chicken of the Sea Tuna sandwiches in there. Uh, and it was later on that Chicken of the Sea, was, you know, early on when, when Walt first built the park, it was all about getting companies to come in and sponsor various attractions. And, uh, and so, you know, by... The 1970s, most of those uh, sponsors were gone, and and so the Chicken of the Sea uh, restaurant, which was the Peter Pan pirate ship, uh, eventually became Captain Hook's Galley, uh, and they added the lagoon with uh, 
you know, the, the uh, skull rock and all of that. And, uh, and I thought those were really impressive photos, uh, especially like you said, the ones from the Skyway. Yeah. And then you talked earlier about the Skyway pictures, um, going into the Matterhorn. I, I never had the opportunity to ride it because my first visit to the park wasn't until 96, but, um, wow, those were really impressive as well because I, I can't say I've seen, um, many, uh, images of the Skyway from that particular, uh, vantage point. Right. Exactly. And uh, that's long gone. I think there's an entire generation of people who have grown up at that park uh, who never saw the Skyway. Yeah. Well, and I think my impression is that it was a, a, just a much more immersive experience taking it out in Disneyland. I, I did ride it in Disney World before, or Magic Kingdom before its closure, but I think just the notion of going through the Matterhorn must have been pretty incredible. Yeah. I think I, I think I think it certainly was, uh, and I, and I'm glad I give people the opportunity to not just see it from outside the Matterhorn, but but also that one shot from inside the Matterhorn, looking out. Absolutely, and you had mentioned Tomorrowland um, a few minutes ago, and that's by far always been my favorite land, and it's a very iterative space. I'm just curious, was there a particular reason? Uh, you all decided to select the Moonliner um, as the as the cover image for this book. Well, I I think that spoke to the fact that it's like you've never seen it before, uh, because there are so many people who never saw that Moonliner, the TWA rocket. I think the other thing was that uh, what, what's nice about that cover image is the fact that it's very dimensional. It has depth to it. Um, you know, you have those, uh, the, the curved building structures that are kind of going away from camera. You have the rocket sitting out there. So, so there, there's some, some foreground, midground, and background elements that give that a very dimensional uh, look to it, even though it's a flat photograph. Oh, for sure. But then you get to see it in 3D inside the book. Right, right. I just, I think it's, it's an interesting choice because it's not, it's not as traditional as, for instance, going with the castle for the cover, but yet it also is very definitive of the Disney spirit and Disneyland of that um, era as well. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, there's an awful lot of books that have the castle on the cover. Uh, I, I think that's, you know, the, the castle image itself is just way overused. And I think we wanted to just do something different. And also, I think that the uh, Moonliner has a, uh, a very retro quality to it. Um, it, it's, uh, it. It speaks to the 1950s. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny, too, what, what I immediately think of when we talk about that era and, and the image of the Moonliner is um, one of Don Hahn's books, Yesterday's Tomorrow, which focuses on Disney in the mid-century. And I feel like this book really, so much of it is a perfect complement to that, at least from a Disneyland focus and, 
and giving an understanding of what that park was like during that period of time from a visual sense. Yes, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, I'm also wondering too, from your standpoint as a writer, can you talk about just your own process in developing these captions and notes beside the pictures? Because even though those are um, relatively short in the scheme of things, they provide that level of understanding of what you're looking at. And, um, and as I mentioned earlier with the Mark Twain, some, some fun facts along the way. Yeah, I, you know, I, I wanted to, I wanted to uh, put in, you know, really sort of brief captions, but, but enough interesting information. I didn't want to just say, oh, well, here's the Mark Twain on, on Rivers of America. I, I wanted to inject some of these smaller, maybe lesser known facts. Uh, the one that I, I really enjoyed uh, writing was about the Columbia sailing ship uh, and the fact that Walt actually uh, put a silver dollar under each mast as the mast was stepped. Uh, and uh, that was, was part of, you know, uh, the, the, the process in boat building. It was a tradition. And Joe Fowler, who was uh, a, an early... Uh, 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 park executive uh, was a former admiral and he was the one that brought that to, to Walt's attention. So they incorporated it, you know, and, and made a ceremony out of it. That's really cool. And yeah, like some of these uh, just things I had never heard of in regards to Disneyland or, or seen before. Uh, another example that comes to mind and, and thank you for giving context, the horse drawn fire engine on main street. Yeah, that was, that was unique. <laughs> yeah, you know, again, uh, you know, that was, a, 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 it had two horses pulling it. You, there's a photo of it in there with the horses attached. And, and it was, it was short lived. And, and the actual uh, fire wagon is in the firehouse. Uh, and you can still see that you can still walk in there and see that at Disneyland today. It's really cool. It shows that, um, you know, the, the rich legacy of, of Disneyland during those early days is, is still inherent in, in even some things that can be checked out um, during this era. Yeah. Dave, I, I recognize that a project like this really relies on um, collaboration and inspiration, and certainly uh, Ted's photos provide a, a large bulk of, of what you see in the book, I, I know in the acknowledgments you recognize Imagineer Tom Morris. Can you talk about his role on the project? Yeah, you know Tom Morris is a friend. Uh, he worked at at uh, Imagineering for I think over forty years before he retired, and I've known him uh, for for quite a number of years. And so after the the photo selection process, I actually got together with Tom at the Walt Disney Studios commissary uh, and I had my laptop and I showed him each one of the photos and we talked about the photos and, and he gave me some interesting inside information and, you know, background information uh, on some of the attractions. There were, there were questions I had uh, uh, especially about some of the Tomorrowland stuff and uh, a few of the other attractions. And, 
and he was gracious enough not only to to give his time in, in uh, talking with me about the photos, but I had asked him if he would write the foreword to the book, and uh, and he was kind enough to do that. And he wrote a very beautiful, uh, I thought, uh, uh, foreword. Uh, and so that that was uh, his contribution, which which to me was invaluable. I think that's really nice. And um, gosh, I, I just I, I really enjoyed um, this experience I, uh, of reading through the book and, and talking with you. And I know as I was reading it, I was listening to old Buddy Baker music from the 1960s <laughs> era Tomorrowland. So I guess it begs the question, Dave, how would you envision the ideal reading experience to look like for anybody who ends up uh, picking up a copy of this? Well, you know, one of the things that I've said to a lot of people, and, and, and by the way, you, you can't plan some of this stuff. I mean, we, we intended to put out the book this summer, but we had no idea that there was going to be a, a COVID-19 pandemic that was going to shut down uh, everything, including Disneyland, which is still closed right now. And so, you know, I, I, was looking through, you know, the book itself. Uh, you know, I have uh, uh, the the printer had sent us uh, uh, essentially a, a digital printout of the book uh, to review. And I have to say, when I got that, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and I thought to myself, well with this book, the park is never closed because you could pick this book up and look at it any time. And, and so I just felt like, you know, to me, that, that's the great thing about, about certain types of books is that when you have that longing and you're missing something, you know, oftentimes you can pick up a book and it, and it gives you some sense of satisfaction, uh, certainly not a replacement. Uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but at least it gives you some joy to look at and remember and to think about your own experiences when you've been at the park, because these photos will spark those memories for you. Yeah, and also I think in addition to that, sparking discussions of how much the park has changed and being able to, as I was looking at some of the images, I'm thinking, okay, where exactly is this in the park? Like, for instance, even just some angles of the Jungle Cruise, which we know has radically changed over its 65-year history. Um, it, it, it provides that comfort, um, images and places that are familiar, um, maybe look a little bit different if we're going that far back, but um, still very comforting. Yeah, and who knows, maybe some people actually take their copy of the book to the park and try and find some of those locations where the pictures were taken. That's a good point. Yeah, that will be, uh, they'll, they'll need a big backpack for it to bring into yeah. the park, I think. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be challenging. <laughs> so, so Dave, can you tell um, our listeners when and how they can pick up a copy of 3D Disneyland? Sure. So, you know, because of this pandemic that we're all dealing with, um, uh, Ted and I, 
you know, realize we're not going to be doing any book signings or appearances for this book, which, you know, I've done with past projects, uh, past books. I, I've, you know, gone to Barnes and Noble and Walt's Barn and, you know, independent bookstores and things like that to do book signings. And we, we kind of felt like, well, we're not going to be able to do that with this book. So we, we did the next best thing. And that is Ted and I are going to be signing 750 copies of this book. And it's being offered directly through the publisher. And, um, we wanted to get the word out and we want to get the book into the hands of the people that really are hardcore fans of the park. Um, so that book, uh, the limited edition signed and numbered, and I want to emphasize that each book is numbered uh, and it's going out on a first come first serve basis from lowest number to highest. And, um, the publisher is doing a 20% discount and free shipping. And so if people are interested in getting a copy of the limited edition signed and numbered version, which I have to tell you is currently less than if you try to pre-order it on Amazon, uh, they just need to go to the old mill press.com the old mill press.com and once they get there they just click on the pre-order button and they can just pay for it and the book is going to ship late august early september uh and i i just uh want to emphasize that because of the the global pandemic going on there have been some delays with shipping and things like that so we're doing our best to make sure we can get this book out as quickly as possible. But the regular edition of the book is not going to release until October 15th. So the folks that order the limited edition signed and numbered version of the book will actually get it before probably a month or more, five weeks, six weeks before it releases to the general public. That's a pretty sweet deal, and it makes me think of even the notion of last year's D23 Expo and how folks could pick up early, um, early releases of some of those titles there, and, and this in the same way is very incentivizing for the hardcore Disney fans. Yeah, and, you know, again, we, we really wanted to, to make that an opportunity. And I do have to tell you, since we, we announced this book a week before the 65th anniversary of Disneyland, and uh, I have to tell you, uh, if people are interested in getting their copy of the book, uh, they should do so as quickly as possible. Because I can tell you, I think there's only like 150 or 175 copies left of the limited edition. Wow. So yeah, get your hands on, on this as soon as possible, for sure. Well, I, I think it's, it's certainly a, a unique release, um, a, a unique title, and um, it, I think the timing is really ideal. As you mentioned, Dave, this arrives um, during Disneyland's closure, which has been going on for quite a long time, and also shortly after the 65th anniversary. So it's a, a nice time capsule and a nice um, way of putting yourself in a park that so many of us feel like we want to inhabit all the time. Exactly.
And by the way, I have to tell you, Ted still has that Kodak Aniston stereo camera uh, and it still works and he still uses it and he's had it now for some more than 65 years. That's impressive. It makes me think, will there be a volume too that includes just totally modern images taken with the same camera? You know something? I don't know. Uh, but I've been getting a lot of people asking for a 3D book on Disney World. And I know that, you know, Ted and I may wind up doing a volume two as a supplement to this first volume to add in even more photos. Uh, possibly, I don't know. We'll see. Oh, a tease. Are there, are there other projects on the docket for you that um, you can talk about besides your Claude Coates book and Nightmare Before Christmas? Uh, nothing I'm ready to announce yet, Brett, but I okay. can tell you right now I have book projects going out through 2025. So, um, and, and as you probably well know, uh, every book I do is typically a fairly unique topic or something that hasn't really been written about. And, uh, and, and so I've mapped out uh, some really fun projects that I think people are going to enjoy. Oh, that's, that's the perfect tease, Dave. So, so now, <laughs> see, now you have to, you have to definitely fulfill that through 2025 that we're going to be expecting some really uh, interesting and uh, unique titles. Absolutely. Cool. Well, uh, as a reminder, can you share with folks how they can follow your work, your website and other platforms? Sure. Absolutely. People can go. Uh, I, I have a, really a fairly robust website. Uh, it's at davidbossert.com. davidbossert.com. I hope you put that in your show notes. Um, For sure. Uh, what, what's neat about that website is that if people are interested in reading more about Disney and some of the animated films, uh, under the articles tab, there's some 55 or 56 uh, articles I've written over the years. It's all free content. They can go there and read different pieces, and some are shorter, some are very long. Uh, there's also some of the program notes I've written for some of the Hollywood Bowl concerts uh, and uh, uh, there's an article I wrote on, uh, you know, going to the movies uh, for the Henry Ford Museum magazine. So there, there's a bunch of content there. And also under free stuff, there's a tab called free stuff. Um, if, if somebody has one of my books and wants to have it autographed, they, they can actually send away for a book plate. And uh, the instructions are there. They just have to send me a self-addressed stamped envelope. Uh, and if, when I get that, if they want a signed book plate for my Oswald book or my Cam Weber book or any of the other books, uh, they just have to ask for it. And I'll sign it and put it in their self-addressed stamped envelope and mail it back to them. So awesome. It adds a personal touch from the author, which is very nice. Yeah, and I'm, I'm happy to do it because I, I also know that, you know, people buy these books and they live all over the country and they're in places that I may never go do a book signing. Right, exactly. Well, and especially, especially during these times, um, that's not as accessible, yeah. right? 
I, I mean, who, who knows when we're going to be able to do a book signing in person, you know? I mean, hopefully it'll be next year, but, I mean, for now, uh, 2020 is a wash, and I'm sure into half of 2021. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, and it makes me, as I've been, like so many of these, uh, so many people during the pandemic thinking about what are ways of, what are different types of entertainment that really do not necessarily require an in-person experience. And so much is rich through visiting a theme park or going to um, to the movies. But reading a book is something that is accessible to folks and something that you can do from the comfort of your home. So I think releases like this, and particularly, as you mentioned, the poignance of Disneyland being closed right now, um, 3D Disneyland um, offers the chance to to get a little bit of magic in a really distinct way. So thanks for your your book and contribution on that front. Oh, it's my pleasure, and I, I I completely agree with you. I, you know, again, you you can't plan something like this. Obviously, I mean, we we were just wanting to release the book around the 65th anniversary, and you know, frankly, uh, the pandemic came along and 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 kind of disrupted that uh, because you know we we had intended to have the book out in June, but there were other issues that happened with the printing and all of that that has to go on behind the scenes. Right. Well, I, we we are eagerly awaiting the release and, and those limited edition copies are um, are running out. So I, I definitely encourage folks to, to pick up a copy. And I, I imagine this will fill a unique niche in the world of Disney books. So thanks for coming on Notably Disney again, Dave, and, and talking about 3D Disneyland. Brett, thank you very much for having me again, and I appreciate everybody's time. I hope everybody uh, will be well and stay safe during these uh, crazy times. And thanks again to Dave for coming on Notably Disney to talk about 3D Disneyland like you've never seen it before. As Dave mentioned, there is still an opportunity um, as of the recording date to pick up a copy of the signed and numbered edition of the book on the Old Mill Press website. And as he said too, there's a 20% discount off the cover price plus free domestic shipping. Um, otherwise, be sure to pick up a copy of the book when it debuts to the general public this October. Thanks again, Dave. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at bnachmanreports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports. And be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to notablydisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.